Happy Halloween, folks. This I, Izzy, the King of Kings, the best evaporated milk there is in town. Hmm, I'm not sure if Santa would appreciate evaporated milk, but hey, what do I know? I'm just plain old Millie. And, and this, this is favorite, favorite movie scene. scene. Every episode, we talk about movies we love and why we love them. Today is no exception because we'll be talking about Millie's go-to Halloween movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Although we don't celebrate it much here, Halloween is one of Millie's favorite holidays, and I knew she'd call dips, so I let her have it. Don't worry if you haven't seen the film; we've got your back. You already know the drill about spoilers, so here goes the TLDW. The film begins with an initiation to cross a threshold into the creepy and cookie world of Halloween Town, where the audience is treated to a feast for the senses. We are introduced to a host of strange creatures, each weirder than the last. But of course, the scariest of them all is our protagonist, the renowned Pumpkin King Jack Skellington. The annual celebrations are a great success. And Jack is met with the usual adulation of the townspeople, but somewhere in Jack's bony chest, ennui has settled in, and he finds himself unable to rejoice. Sally, a rag doll who has always admired Jack from the shadows, hears his laments in the graveyard. Jack wants something different, and that is exactly what he finds after his night of wandering. He finds himself in a cold new world. A warm, tingling feeling coming from inside. Despite not understanding much about what he's experienced, Jack is determined to spice Christmas up Halloween style. But it's hard to boil a holiday down to a science, and Jack's little experiment becomes a misadventure with consequences beyond his own imagination. Alrighty then, let's begin from the beginning. When did you first watch The Nightmare Before Christmas? I'm pretty sure it was either when I was twelve or thirteen, and at that time I was listening to a lot of Blink One Eighty Two, and I came across the song "I Miss You." You know that song, the one that it goes, "We can live like Jack Sally, we want, you can always find me." Yeah, so yeah, based on that song, I was kind of curious to find out who Jack and Sally were because it's not exactly common knowledge like Romeo and Juliet. Which is not something you want someone to sing to you anyway. Yeah, but that's pretty cool discovering new movies through music. Yeah, no, like back in the day, I used to buy albums, and they'd come with these lyric booklets that I would pour over. I was a pretty intense kid, and I kind of thought of myself as like a tiny goth. Yeah, but <laughs> the song led me to the movie, and since then, I probably watched it about maybe like eight. The ten times. Wow, that's a lot of times.、Mm-hmm. I think I've only watched it maybe three times, including this rewatch. I can't really remember my first time watching it at all, but I probably tuned out of it because it was on Channel Five, the Singapore's free-to-air English TV channel. I think what happened was that we swapped channels during a commercial break, and only went back just in time for the ending because I clearly remember more of the start and the end rather than the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that Nightmare was a nice children's animation. Like I really liked Walls and Gromit, which was another great stop motion claymation film. Yeah, and Chicken Run too. Yeah, the same directors. Funnily enough, now we have raved about Nightmare for such a long time. So, what makes it special to you? 
I think the Nightmare Before Christmas is special to me because at some level, it helped me to understand that difference doesn't need to be ugly or frightening. And I think the movie does such a beautiful job of shedding light on what it means to be an outsider, to never fit in anywhere. While we were watching the movie in preparation for this episode, I commented how Jack reminds me of this character from this K-drama, Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha. So the character name is Hong Do-Sik. And in this K-drama that's set in this very sleepy seaside town, I think that both protagonists have their own charm Mm -hmm. and are kind of recognized as unofficial leaders of the community. But there's also a sense that they aren't dovetail fits in the community. Yeah, I feel like this movie didn't have many prominent characters per se. Yeah, I mean, they are the townspeople, but the townspeople are more for the vibe. Yeah, like there were at most a handful of people that we got to know better and understand. But I liked how Jack is developed as a character. If you look at him, he holds up well... And his motivations are very clear after all this time, right? Jack is looking for a break in his routine. Like, he always succeeds at organizing a great Halloween. But actually, mm, come to think of it, Jack is actually in a position of power and the town relies on him to organize Halloween. But when he wants to do something else, in this case, the town is dragged along with him in whatever he wants to do, right? (laughs) Like, you can see he's aware that they can only see things a certain way, the Halloween way which also points to how you can't really understand beyond what you know, right? Even as Jack tries to help his town understand Christmas, he eventually settles on whatever the town understands. I think there's a play here on the tension between the individual and the collective, uh, where there's always a compromise between the two. Like, ultimately, the individual has to give up some of their perspective to whatever the collective can comprehend. And in this case, we have a horribly spooky Christmas <laughs> because Jack has to pander to the townspeople ultimately. Like, what about you? Who do you say is your favourite character? Younger me would definitely say Sally because I've always felt like an outsider in the same way that she does. I guess I also found her desire to escape Dr. Finkelstein kind of funny. And I like the idea that, like, you know, Sally's kind of independent and a bit rebellious. But watching it now, mm, I really wish she actually had more airtime. Oh, you mean like when she jumped out of the window? (laughs) I mean, not that kind of airtime. But I have to agree with you about Jack. He's a really, really great protagonist. He's like fallible, but yet someone you could vouch for. And he's a really good example of how the road to hell can be paved with good intentions. And I've mentioned this about Spirited Away as well. Something I particularly enjoy about movies is the inclusion of grey characters. And Jack here, with his iconic pinstripe suit, is really a character with lots of layers and depth. And this complexity is... What I believe gives us that space to engage with Jack's emotional capacity, his loneliness. Yeah, another thing about Nightmare Before Christmas that people can't miss is the soundtrack, right? I really enjoyed the town meeting song where Jack tries to explain Christmas to the entire town, but they end up missing the point because they can't understand Christmas without first seeing it. Like, they inject their own adjectives and you can see that there's this verbal duel between Jack and the town. Like, eventually the town doesn't get it, and Jack has to compromise to get them on board for his little plan to hijack Christmas. (laughs) There's the thing about having to tell people what they want to hear to make things work, but also 
about how we all have different views of what something could be as individuals. Each townsperson uses different adjectives that are familiar to them. And there's that play of wanting to be part of the collective and finding relatability that makes the song so meaningful to me. Like, how about you? Well, in terms of soundtrack, I'm tempted to say What's This? Because it was covered by Fall Out Boy. Mm-hmm. And I think my secondary school friends are kind of rolling their eyes now because they know how obsessed I was over Fall Out Boy at that time. But my honest answer is This Is Halloween. It kind of reminds me of Carol of the Bells, mm-hmm. but better. And there was this once that I told a colleague that Carol of the Bells should be reclassified as a Halloween song. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was a heathen. Yeah, because he goes like, Hawk, how the bells, sweet silver bells. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty haunting, right? So, yeah, I think like, This is Halloween really captures the spirit of my favourite holiday best. And you know when the townspeople start chanting like, La, la, la. Uh-huh. That's that trocaic meter, right? The stress, unstressed, right? And with Jack emerging from that fountain, oh my gosh, I just get the chills just thinking about it, you know, them singing in this way and him emerging. It's almost like you're part of this very ritualistic ceremony that you're watching, very reminiscent of like folklore and pagan practices. And I remember this particular hiking trip I had to the Hartz Mountains in Lower Saxony when I was studying in Germany. And I mean, I didn't know much about the culture. And um, this was a day before Walpurgisnacht. So um, it is a night where they believe witches gather on the Hartz Mountains. Yeah, and I was wondering why it felt like Halloween, even though it was in April. And it's very hard to describe that feeling, you know, of, Halloween of like being immersed in that it's not really awe you know it's almost like something abject and aren't you happy I'm using that word I'm using something that we actually learned in our (laughs) psychoanalysis module yeah well of course that was one of the modules I was most interested in as well and as I recall you thought a lot about what I said and it wasn't quite based on the theory of the day, but rather my own construction of the text we were reading. Well, well, well. <laughs> yeah, I think the idea of a thread is really important here, since you're talking about the abject, right? And it's something you recognize as an adult, but not as a child, because I guess you're innocent and naive. And that's the important thing about the movie, right? Since we are watching it as adults, we do read all sorts of danger and horror into symbols of Halloween and what Jack is trying to do. But... Probably as a child, and I say this from experience as well, we are more willing to accept it for fun for what it is, right? It's fun, friendly, and almost welcoming. Well, I mean, children are pretty chaotic themselves. Yeah, and I think Halloween to me is about embracing horror, and I think the movie does that very well. I grew up in a slightly atas neighborhood, so I had the pleasure of refusing to participate in trick-or-treating after trying it out for a year. You know the insane pumpkin spice craze that started sometime in 2009 or 2010? Well, that was one of the good things that came out of that. Is that uh, Starbucks pumpkin spice latte since it lets you know who's basic. <laughs> but I'm guilty of that sometimes, so I'm not criticizing. Well, apparently Gen Z is saying that's something that defines millennials, the pumpkin spice lattes. I don't know, but I guess to me, the pumpkin spice craze was a little bit like a morbid love affair. Mm. Yeah, and if you're talking about trends, uh, for me, I think it was the Disney lip smackers. And the one for Sally is actually peppermint candy corn. And Jack's is pumpkin spice latte. Okay. So, yeah. 
And speaking about food, right? In the movie, Sally actually slips deadly nightshade into Dr. Finkelstein's soup, and that really reminded me of the witches in Macbeth. Like, double, double, toil and mm-hmm. trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble. Right? So, when Sally collects the deadly nightshade from the cemetery, we also see two other coffins labeled Henbane and Witch Hazel. Mm-hmm. The former can actually be used as medication in small quantities, while the latter is known for its anti-inflammatory properties. In some way, I think Sally's knowledge of the medical use of these plants aligns her with the figure of the witch. Not in a negative way, but I think it kind of highlights how resourceful and how knowledgeable she is. Things that I guess are seen as undesirable in women sometimes and in Dr. Finkelstein's case, right, something undesirable in his own creations. Yeah. I think especially for the movie, names definitely have power. Like you can see the Disney execs then decided to rechristen the film as Tim Burton's The Mm -hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. But I like to think that while he came out with the concepts and narrative, any film is pretty much the product of the many great minds that created and to claim monopoly over something like that mm, well i don't know the fact they also released it as a pg rating under touchstone rather than disney itself you know it's probably an intentional division now i've seen the netflix docuseries the movies that made us as well as some video essays about tim burton and his other movies i learned that tim burton is considered a savant in the sense where he's a really great director but has a lot of quirky behaviors like using his dog marks to kick a hole in the wall. Yeah, that's one of the famous examples, mm-hmm. especially for this movie. In that sense, I really appreciate his different perspectives on stop motion and filmmaking. But when that comes at a cost, you really stop to think if it's justified, right? Because his behavior made for a pretty toxic workplace at times. But for you, will you consider yourself a Burtonet? Well, I won't say I'm a diehard fan. But a lot of his work spoke to a very deep pain inside me that I myself didn't really understand when I was like 12, 13. And it's very difficult to explain because movies like The Nightmare Before Christmas and Edward Scissorhands are such important parts of my adolescence. And when I first watched these movies, I realised that I was not the only one to feel this way. I mean, mm. okay, like, it's a white man, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I would describe, like, watching these movies as a kind of emotional decompression yeah. process because there's a certain lightness of being that comes with, hey, you know, I'm not alone. I'm, the, I'm not the only person who feels this way. But then again, I won't say that this is exclusive to Burton. And I was one of those kids who would listen to my chemical romance quite a bit. Yeah, by that I think you mean quite a lot. Uh, okay, guilty as charged. Okay, I still occasionally blast Welcome to the Black Parade on repeat. And I know people don't really like to talk about tragedy. But I think using Nightmare Before Christmas as an example, the idea that we can survive tragedy is actually portrayed as something that is rather hopeful. But what do you think about the ending? I really like how economical the film is overall. It's pretty short, one hour plus. And Jack Skellington learns that he's really great at something and finding new joy in something familiar is as simple as changing the places you've been to or the things you've seen, right? I like how he starts growing as a character once he goes into Christmas land. And at that time, naive he might have been, 
he realizes his error pretty quickly after getting blown out of the sky, of course. <laughs> On the movies that made us, one of the endings that were proposed to Tim Burton was that Oogie Boogie is actually puppeted by Dr. Finkelstein. <gasps> <laughs> which although suits his character as a sinister mad scientist, was really convoluted. Mm. And that's when Tim Burton literally kicked a hole in the wall after hearing it, right? I'm glad the movie has its current ending, as it tells us that people can be outsiders to themselves, but find familiarity again after trying new things. Like, I feel it's just part of life, where you go about doing the same thing so many times, that it either becomes untimely or worse, boring. Finding that new spark doesn't have to mean changing everything about yourself like going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> it simply means you have to push yourself outside of the boxes that confine you to experience something new. And that drive is something that makes life more interesting, I feel. Yeah, you can really see Jack regaining his motivation and momentum at the end when he comes to terms with his failure. From Jack's sheer joy when he experiences snow in Christmas Town to the scene in the human graveyard where Jack lies in the arms of an angel after he is shot down, I think the movie brings Jack on this journey of not discovery but rediscovery. As viewers, we are hardly made to fear Jack. I think there's only one occasion where he is a little bit scary. Yeah. But Oogie Boogie is an outlier in a very different sense, just as Lock, Shock, and Barrel are. I think they are, like, really chaotic. Kind of like the Joker, you know? They don't really know their intentions. And not only does Oogie Boogie live on the edge of town, so he's a literal outlier, he's shadier than Deadly Nightshade for me. Yeah, and, okay, thinking about what Oogie Boogie represents, right? I think the best comparison that I have is that Oogie Boogie is kind of like a Bogart from Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Because you see, when Oogie Boogie was banished, he was banished to exposure when Jack confronted him head on and called him out for what he is. It's like, you're an embarrassment for the way you treated my friends. Ridiculous. Yes. So, I I mean, I, I don't agree with Tim Butter kicking the wall, but I don't think that if I was the director and you proposed this to me, that I would be happy uh, with the Dr. Finkelstein ending. And also... As a movie, I think it's kind of funny how the crew involved in this production thought that, yeah, the movie wouldn't amount to much, even though it's one of the first few really, like, stop-motion films. And it was actually in the non-US markets, for example, like Japan and Spain, and the home video rental industry, that Nightmare gained traction. It's kind of serendipitous, in my opinion, that a movie made by misfits, about a bunch of misfits, uh, would rise to fame in such an unconventional way. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, right, Izzy and I were intending to go to Japan for our honeymoon, but I mean, with the current situation, I guess maybe not. But I thought that if we went, maybe we could go to Disney World and we could actually check out the Nightmare Before Christmas ride. Because, I mean, yeah, I think it's been such a big part of my childhood that I thought that I would want to see it. So maybe I guess that's postponed for a few years. Alright, so now we're moving on to our real ratings, okay? So just a disclaimer, I don't profess to be the most objective critic in the whole world, okay? Because, I mean, movies are very deeply personal, I feel. I mean, how it reflects your experience of that, just as all art is very deeply personal. But hey, I mean, would you trust someone who claims absolute objectivity? Hmm, I think that's suspicious as hell, but... Well, for me... Nightmare definitely gets 10 out of 10 reels, hands down. 
Yeah, for me, I really enjoy stop motion films just because of the sheer amount of effort that goes into them. But even more so when it has a timeless story, right? The Nightmare Before Christmas is a 10 out of 10 reels for me as well. <laughs> With our Halloween episode now done and dusted, it's time for November, which happens to be my birthday month. We'll begin with my pick, one of my all-time favourites, The Truman Show starring Jim Carrey. Then, Millie will take the reins with her pick for me. To listen to our other exciting episodes, search Favourite Movie Scene on Spotify or visit our Anchor page at anchor.fm slash Studios. So that's M-I-J-I hyphen studios. Till then, movie friends, we'll, we'll be, be seeing, seeing you. you.